Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin, and today I'm sitting down with former president of Global Seafood Alliance, George Chamberlain. He came on the show today to talk about his new endeavor, because you never really retire, right? And this new endeavor is called the Center for Responsible Seafood. And uh, it's an educational platform, but it's also much more than that. So George gets into all the details and how and why they started the Center for Responsible Seafood or TCRS. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode with George. People always love hearing George when we have him on the podcast. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. So every new episode will be automatically downloaded to your device as soon as it becomes available. If you'd like to get in contact with myself, Justin, or Maddie, you can do so by filling out the contact form at globalseafood.org slash podcast, or you can reach out to us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. And if you don't mind, we would love it if you would take a couple minutes and just leave us a quick rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out, and we appreciate everybody that's done that. So with that, please enjoy this conversation that we had with George, and I'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we are sitting down again today with someone who may sound familiar, the the name may have looked familiar on your podcast app. We're sitting down with the co-founder and former president of GSA and the current president of the Center for Responsible Seafood, George Chamberlain. George, thanks for coming back. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. Thanks for having me, Sean and Justin. Yeah, George has been on the show a couple times, and one of those episodes was a Career Pathways episode where he told us the whole story of uh, how he got to where he is mm -hmm. from a very young age. So we're not going to spend too much time on who you are, because I would like anyone who doesn't know who you are to go back and listen to that episode so they can get the full story. But real quick, George, give us a rundown of kind of who you are and what you've been up to lately. I, we haven't seen a lot of you recently. Yes, well... Um... I actually turned 70 at the beginning of um, January, and so a couple years ahead of that, I informed the board of the Global Seafood Alliance that I would like to retire from GSA, and um, and so I have. I, I would say I've semi-retired. I'm still serving on the board, and I still try to help out with a few odds and ends. But then uh, one of the things that came up as I was approaching retirement was uh, TCRS was, um, let's say, languishing a little bit. And um, it, it has leaned on GSA for administrative support since the beginning, 15 years ago. And uh, so I was offered uh, uh, the opportunity to kind of help it along and see if we could uh, give it a little boost and help it become a more independent and uh, um, self-supporting organization. So I've, I've uh, taken that on since, um, well, actually beginning maybe a couple of years ago, um, beginning to think about it and work on it. And then uh, uh, officially at the beginning of 2023, uh, making it, you know, kind of a formal proposition of, um, of trying to lead this organization. It's, it's a little bit like uh, the early days of the Global Aquaculture Alliance uh, when we were trying to start it from really 
very little. And uh, it's like deja vu doing it again <laughs> with CRS. Two things, George. One, I, I can't believe that you're 70 because you play softball like you're 25. <laughs> I just have to get that out there, man. That is whatever the the key to that success. You gotta you gotta give that. Justin's to first us. priority with everything that we do at work is, is softball. You, if it has something to do with softball, that's where he's gonna go first. <laughs> yeah, Justin. so I had to make sure to get that into the <laughs> the episode. Yeah, you're a great uh, player, Justin. I really enjoyed playing with you. He's a, Justin, by the way, is a skilled shortstop. He's a very very good uh, softball player. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks, George. You as well. It was pleasure playing for sure. So I want to back up just a little bit and talk about, there's a little bit of a journey that I think took place from RAF to TCRS. Let's let's clarify those acronyms. Yes. So Responsible Aquaculture Foundation, correct? Yes. Morphed into the Center for Responsible Seafood, TCRS. And can you take us back a little bit and, and maybe tell our listeners a little bit about the purpose of RAF and how you took that idea and morphed it into this, into TCRS. Let's start there. Well, if we go all the way back into the early 2000s, um, GAA was interested in trying to do some work on research and education. And we um, applied for a grant from the MacArthur Foundation. Um, I remember our little team wrote up the grant proposal. It was competitive. We submitted it. And lo and behold, we we won the grant. And MacArthur Foundation said, okay, guys, um, here are the forms to fill out to receive the funds to execute the grant. Uh, and one of the forms required our 501c3 number. That's an indication that the organization is a, considered a, a charitable organization under the Internal Revenue Service designation in the U.S. And um, the then Global Aquaculture Alliance was not a 501c3. It was a 501c6. And we didn't qualify. And so uh, we ended up um, recommending to MacArthur that they award that grant to the Network of Aquaculture Centers of Asia Pacific, who we work closely with to execute the grant. But we were bummed that we couldn't qualify for uh, doing work on research and education and training. And so we resolved that we would establish a separate entity that could do that work. And that was really, you know, the beginning of the Responsible Aquaculture Foundation. And at that time, there was a, an attorney who worked closely with us, who was an attorney for Darden Restaurants. His name was George Williams. And on a pro bono basis, he filed the paperwork with IRS. And um, within um, less than a year, lo, lo and behold, we were, we were a 501c3 organization. And uh, that happened around 2009. And uh, then we began to... Um, embark on a series of uh, projects. The first of those was with the World Bank. Uh, the World Bank could see that aquaculture had a, a bright future. There was all sorts of growth that needed to happen. That would all require tremendous investment. And the, the challenge was that uh, disease outbreaks were happening all over the world 
and discouraging investment. The business appeared much too volatile. And so the, uh, the World Bank invited us to conduct a series of studies on um, how, you know, lessons learned in aquaculture disease management. You know, why are these outbreaks happening? Why couldn't they have been avoided or prevented? And what are the lessons we need to learn to improve this sector? And the very first one uh, was an enormous uh, outbreak of infectious salmon anemia in Chile uh, that crippled the industry around uh, 2009. And so we, that was our first study. Uh, we, as usual, what would become the model, we put together an expert team of uh, pathologists, veterinarians, industry experts. Uh, the team was led in that case by a long-term expert in Chile named Adolfo Alvial. And we gathered the information. Um, we interviewed uh, lots of people and then we we came up with recommendations. And in fact, the Global Aquaculture Alliance uh, convened its next goal meeting in Santiago, Chile to highlight the results of that RAF study. And it was remarkable because the industry um, literally called for regulators to tighten their regulations and increase the penalties for non-conformance on biosecurity regulations. In other mm -hmm. words, if a company was um, uh, required to have all-in, all-out stocking and harvesting to block the spread of disease, and let's just say they violated that and they were running a cycle during the fallow period, um, the industry wanted strict penalties on those people because they were hurting everybody. And, and they also called for greater cooperation between the industry and the banking sector and the, and the government. And so um, it was a, really a great success, that very first study. And then we followed it with another one uh, with an emerging disease in Asia called early mortality syndrome. Mm -hmm. which was one of those um, one of those challenges at the beginning when when we assembled our team, Dr. Leitner, Locke Tran, um, um, a gentleman from um, uh, named Koa from uh, the Vietnamese um, analogous to their Department of Fisheries. And, and several others, we assembled this expert team, we went to Vietnam. And at that time, early mortality syndrome was um, a very ambiguous origin. There were people that thought it was caused by toxic algae, others that thought it was caused by um, additives in the feed that were toxic. Some thought it was in the soil. Some were absolutely convinced it was a virus. And, um, and and so it was all over the map. And what uh, we did is went from north to south in Vietnam collecting samples. And Dr. Leitner classified the, uh, the histological symptoms of the disease so that it could be clearly um, identified and distinguished from other 
diseases. And then subsequently, Lot Tran, as part of his PhD work under Dr. Leitner, identified the disease as um, caused by a bacterial pathogen, Vibrio parahemolyticus. So once again, this little grant from the World Bank of maybe, I don't recall, maybe 50 or $60,000 resulted in, you know, identification of a, of a serious pathogen. And with the identification comes all sorts of management uh, capability to control the pathogen. So I, uh, we be, RAF began to establish a name for itself. Um, shortly after that, uh, we received a, another grant to try to understand how to control early mortality syndrome by conducting a survey of shrimp farmers around the world. We asked them to go online, fill out this survey, and indicate uh, what are their practices and what are their results. And we had an epidemiologist in Australia analyze that data set and see if he saw any, um, you know, any standouts, any um, methods that were much better than, than the rest for controlling the disease. And in fact, uh, he found that uh, this group in Mexico that was using a different genetic line of Baname was having nearly complete success, uh, results that were almost as good as um, pre-EMS. Uh, so they were completely overcoming the disease using uh, a genetic line that was tolerant of the disease. And that subsequently um, opened up the possibility of transferring some of those lines to Asia and, and recovering. So once again, that study, I think, was an enormous success and um, another feather in the cap for RAF. And we continued to do a, a few more of those, one in uh, Mozambique and Madagascar on a white spot outbreak in shrimp. And then we did some on uh, food safety. In the case of food safety, it's worth mentioning because the World Bank had a program called Partnership in Food Safety. And their idea was that it's far too expensive to send experts around the world to conduct in-person uh, training courses for let's say 50 or 100 people at a time. Their big idea is why not put that training information in an online format where it's available 24 seven to anyone around the world and uh, translate it into different languages so that it could be widely accessible. Yep. And so we took that uh, actually with the expectation, the, the thinking that World Bank had that platform available and we would just develop the content. As it turned out, they didn't have the platform develop, uh, developed. And so we ended up developing it uh, using a university application called Moodle and we posted our first uh, online modules, which came to be a, a major pillar of what RAF offers, you know, online yes. education. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
So I'll pause there because uh, I may be uh, wandering off the reservation with some of these comments, but let me let, let you guys redirect me. Well, I think you set a tone of what the foundation of RAF became, which is now, in a way, there, it's not a mirror image what TCRS rep- represents in RAF because it's much bigger and more vast. But Sean, I think you had... Uh, nope. You're on a roll. Oh, Go okay. For Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Justin gets excited about the education stuff. You know, he's our education manager. Of course. Of course. <laughs> well, well, so what I want to have our listeners understand now is you have a, I don't know if you want to call it a educational platform product, but TCRS is functioning now. And some of the content that you just talked about, some of that research that was done has been carried over and is still accessible on TCRS. But now let's get into uh, that platform. Tell us a little yeah. bit about what's on it, uh, what the vision was for it, and and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, and and I I uh, don't think I ever really fully answered your previous question where you said, you know, how did it transition from RAF to TCRS? So let mm-hmm. me just quickly touch on that. Perfect. Um, a couple years ago, um, uh, the RAF board uh, recognized that um, the, the organization had kind of languished. Um, things had gotten busy with uh, the GSA team. We, we were in the process of rebranding from GAA to GSA. And there were uh, lots of other um, um, distractions. We weren't much help to RAF. And the RAF program hadn't had a... Um, you know, a whole lot of activity aside from one particular project on animal welfare, a very important one. So we've, we had some discussions about how to invigorate RAF and, um, and, and it, it began a series of brainstorming sessions with the board of RAF that lasted for about a year. And one of the things that was concluded from those sessions is that they liked the way that the Global Aquaculture Alliance had decided to expand its mission to include all seafood and had rebranded to become the Global Seafood Alliance. And so the the RAF board felt it would be appropriate to do the same thing, but rather than changing its name to responsible seafood foundation, a simple change, they decided that they really wanted to eliminate the word foundation from the name because it foundation often implies an organization that is a philanthropic group that contributes funds to other groups, which yeah, just it is, it, it is probably a little bit misleading. Yeah. You don't fully understand the ins and outs of the company, right? Right, right. So we, uh, we ended up choosing the Center for Responsible Seafood um, we adjusted our name and our, our brand and our mission and our website. And it was right during that time frame that we met a gentleman named R.D. Whitney, who was um, a proponent of communities. And he, we had been frustrated that our online um, education modules weren't getting adopted by as many people as we thought they should be. We thought they were great stuff and they should be used by, you know, an enormous number of people in the aquaculture sector, but they, they remained kind of a well-kept secret. People weren't 
discovering it. People weren't utilizing it to the extent we thought they should. And RD's um, proposition was that we human beings, we, we tend to operate in communities, almost like the original tribes. You know, we, we align ourselves with people who have similar interests and we, we like to be involved in groups where we can find the resources that we need within our little community. And so mm-hmm. with RD's guidance, TCRS established a community platform, a platform where we establish different communities, for, for example, one on feeds, one on, um, let's say, circular economy, like reusing uh, waste products and, and finding alternatives to take advantage of them, uh, one on climate change and, and so on and so on. So we um, established this community platform and we've been building that and, and building the communities that are associated with it and then populating those communities with these educational modules that we've developed over the years. We have um, now maybe uh, 25 or 30 of those educational modules. Hmm. And we'd love to have a lot more. We And we don't think that we have to necessarily develop all of them. We can partner with other groups and post their modules on our site to give them greater visibility of the modules they've developed. In the end, what we want to do is try to offer seafood professionals around the world with information that's timely, that's um, credible, that's authoritative on how they can deal with the issues they're facing to improve their practices and become more sustainable. So um, that led to the, to the development of the TCRS community platform. And one can find that by just going to the TCRS website, which is responsibleseafood.org. And at the top of the homepage, there's a button that says, go to community platform. Just click that button and it takes you right into those um, different communities and the the uh, the courses, the discussions, the resources, the videos, um, uh, and the other members. And now there are around a thousand plus um, members of the community so far. Nice, and it's pretty active too. Yeah, I think um, the activity level is high. We see a lot of use of the educational modules, and one of the things that we're working on now to kind of build um, build upon uh, the need for information is to host our first conference. So the uh, TCRS recognizes that there's, a, you might call it a crisis going on in Asia right now with shrimp farming because uh, Asia, which contributes two thirds of the world shrimp Right. is um, basically stagnant. The growth has stopped. In some cases, the sector is contracting, like in India. Uh, whereas in the Americas, especially Ecuador, the shrimp farming business is experiencing phenomenal growth. 
it's uh, it's booming. They're expecting in Ecuador 14% growth this year. So this is causing um, oversupply of shrimp and low prices and tremendous pain in Asia. And it raises the question of what what changes are needed to help revitalize the Asian shrimp farming sector to make it not only more competitive, but more efficient, more sustainable. This is an opportunity. So we're uh, scheduling a shrimp summit in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam on July 24 to 26. And we're going to organize it such that there's a an opportunity to take a pre-conference tour of one of the very new and exciting, super intensive shrimp tank farms uh, developed by the Minfu group. Minfu is the largest shrimp processor in Vietnam, and they've developed um, a sophisticated, large-scale farming operation based on a, a new technology for using circular tanks. And then after the conference, we'll visit the other end of the spectrum of shrimp farming, we'll arrange a tour into the mangrove areas of the southern province of Pramal, where shrimp are raised in harmony with the mangroves uh, in an, an organic system where there's no feed used and uh, the shrimp are certified organic in Canada and the EU. So it's, it's a great opportunity to kind of see the two ends of the bell curve, the very intensive leading edge with um, um, automation and mechanization and artificial intelligence, and then the other very traditional, extremely low density systems where shrimp are raised just as they grow in nature mm -hmm. and uh, offers um, beautiful, intrinsically, naturally pigmented uh, shrimp very large sizes, in that case, black tiger shrimp, that uh, the market really prizes. All right. Well, we only got about five to 10 minutes left. I want to bring it back to TCRS, um, primarily the platform and how people, you know, there's there's two more questions, right? There's the, what is coming in the future for TCRS? You know, what's your vision for the near and distant future? And then um, how can people get involved? Well, yeah, thank you, Sean. Those are, those are great points. Our, our vision is that we will build communities and that people who are interested in specific topics will come to recognize the TCRS community on that topic as the place to go to find information, not just the educational modules, but you know other resources like uh, PDF files and videos mm -hmm. and connections with uh, people of similar interests, other members. And, um, and that will become a place to, to go to learn and to grow and, and to, to develop. And so we, we want to build out this platform. And, um, and so that's a kind of a long-term goal. I think, you know, it's a very ambitious goal and, uh, and we'd like to, be a unifying force. We'd like to link with other groups that have educational products and to jointly um, post those. And, you know, the, the end goal is once again, to try to 
help people get access to the latest information that will help them improve their practices, become more efficient, more profitable, better livelihood, more sustainable, and with better access to the market. Now, TCRS has nothing to do with certification. We don't uh, develop any certification standards and we're basically agnostic about which certification program a group may choose to use, whether it's a, a, a rating system, an organic standard, or a, an aquaculture standard like BAP or a fishery standard like BSP. But we can help on improver programs. These are the programs where you uh, try to help the individual small farms join into clusters or neighborhoods, groups of small farms that work like a co-op so that they have more purchasing power, more uh, volume of harvest, they can sell more directly to processors, and they're basically aligned in a way where they're uh, more easily certified. So mm -hmm. that's, um, that's kind of a handoff, working with uh, small groups to improve their positioning <clears throat> to become to become certified in the future. And this is a question that I want to start asking a lot of our guests after we kind of discuss what they look for in the future. What are the resources that you need to achieve your immediate long-term goals that you can think of? Yes. Well, uh, we've been very fortunate that the Global Seafood Alliance has helped us with some um, support over the years to, to keep the organization going, but it's our intention to uh, raise more grant funds to be completely independent from GSA. So as of this moment, since the beginning of the year, uh, we now have uh, separate offices, separate um, support structure, legal and accounting and so forth. And we're, um, and by generating some revenue through our conferences and, um, and by working to get more grants, we're, we're gradually building the organizational support. It would be nice if in the long run, TCRS had a sort of a continuous source of revenue um, analogous to GSA having administrative uh, revenue coming from certification. Um, that's an area that TCRS can consider. Maybe it can come from educational courses or other products that we develop, but, uh, that's, that's, um, an aspirational goal of ours that will be important for the long-term, uh, support of the organization. Fantastic. So then the last question is how can people get involved? What, you know, if people want to learn more about this, you know, where do they go? I think we kind of talked about it a little bit, but let's, uh, let's reiterate it for anyone who wants oh, to get involved would, with TCRS. Oh, we would just love to have people come and, uh, go to our website. Once again, responsibleseafood.org and click the button of, uh, go to the community platform at the top of the homepage and then uh, poke around and look at uh, some of the educational courses, the different communities, uh, the conferences. We see ourselves um, trying to become thought leaders in different arenas. For example, after this conference on uh, sort of the shrimp crisis in Asia, we, we think another 
area that needs attention is um, use of seafood waste. There's a lot of uh, waste seafood that would be a wonderful product for use in feeds or even for mm -hmm. human consumption. Uh, for example, in Iceland, which is probably the best in this area, they use over 90% of a, of a fish. When a fish is landed, 90% of it is used. Um, they make products like um, um, bandages for burn victims from the collagen that comes from the skin of fish. Uh, products can be made from the, from the viscera, from the bones, from all sorts of uh, products, even with uh, shrimp. The, the heads and shells can be made into chitosan and the, um, uh, the um, products, the proteins and so forth within the head can be used to make hydrolysates, which are fantastic ingredients for feed and immunostimulants. So how can we um, help inform the seafood world about how to make better use of waste products? That can be a future conference, future educational courses, and we can, we can take these opportunities one by one and, and try to help improve the sector over time. So George, is there a fee to join TCRS? No, it's absolutely free. It's absolutely free. Free 99. It's, yeah, it's, uh, there's absolutely no cost to any of the educational courses. Now, I would say that over time, we will be trying to explore ways to monetize some of the things we do just to make sure that the organization um, is itself is sustainable, is yeah. financially sustainable. But for now and for the foreseeable future, it's free. And, you know, we would just love to have folks join, take a look, give us your thoughts, give us your comments, help guide us. And let's try to make the seafood world a you know, more productive, uh, better and larger source of food to feed humanity. And, um, and uh, you know, one of the most sustainable foods on the planet. We think it has an enormous potential. So we want to be in there to, to help. Yeah. Amazing. Well, George, thanks for everything that you've done and thanks for everything that you're continuing to do. And we're going to, you know, we get the emails where we're in there and we want to, we're going to, Keep an eye on what's going on with TCRS, and um, we appreciate you coming back on the show to talk us talk to us about it. Well, gosh, I really appreciate the opportunity, and thank you guys for doing all that you do. It's been such fun working with you over the years, and I look forward to continue to continuing to interact with you in our respective roles. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, collaboration that can happen between our organizations, and we're all in this for the same reason. You know, to make yeah. the world yep. a little better yep. place. So thanks for all that you do. Exactly. All right. Thank you so much. Folks, that was our conversation with George Chamberlain. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. And I hope you are subscribed to Aquademia wherever you're listening right now. That way, every time a new episode comes out, it'll automatically be downloaded to your device. If you want to get in contact with us, you can always fill out our contact form at globalseafood.org slash podcast, or you can find us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you have a quick moment, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating interview wherever you listen. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time.